time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, December 12, 2008. You know, there's a lot of news this week that we just haven't even covered. Good night. Yesterday was a little bit more of a fun day with uh, Lane Chaplin in the uh, studio. Great guy. Just good down-to-earth, smart Christian guy who understands law and gospel and is making some great resources available on the internet. You know, and, uh, you know, I tell you, he may not be a Lutheran, but he might as well be. No, I mean, (laughs) that's not the important thing. I I tell you, today's current crisis in Christianity has has created some strange bedfellows. I mean, I thought it was weird when... uh, Rosenblatt was hanging out with a uh, with Horton and Riddlebarger, you know, and I'll tell you, th- those guys are brothers for whom I would definitely uh, be willing to die, you know. So I'm, I'm very thankful for for men like Riddlebarger and, and Horton, and it's just it's amazing. It's the it's the gospel that unites us, and uh, very happy to uh, work hand in hand with people who actually get the gospel and understand that God works through the means of grace. So uh, that being said, we've got an interesting program lined up for you today. We got listener email. Got, got a little bit of listener email. We'll be. Uh, I've got news on a Marian apparition in Sandy. Uh, it was in, actually in Phoenix, in Phoenix uh, on the twelfth. Uh, so that, well, what was the tenth? Maybe it was the tenth. I forget. I think it was the tenth. And apparently, the Virgin Mary appeared on a, a sidewalk in Phoenix. It, it looked like a watermark, and uh, we'll have to talk about that. And uh, and then we got some Rick Warren news, and uh, this will be kind of fun to kind of take it apart. I, I consider there to be some progress with Rick Warren, and Wait, uh, I yeah I know it's true, it's true. I consider that uh, Rick has made a little bit of progress. There's something he said that I can say amen to. And actually, this is going to sound really weird. I'm going to come to Rick Warren's defense today on something. I, I know. Just, just stop looking at me like that. It's true. Wait, it, is it like a repeat of uh, what was it? No, it's not a repeat of something. I th- I think Rick Warren is, uh, you know, he, something he said on Hannity and Combs uh, back last week is being taken out of context, and it's interesting to see how it's being played out in certain sectors of the media. And so we'll be looking at that, and and, and funny enough, I'm going to be coming to Rick Warren's defense. Kind of like Benny Hinn. Yeah, it, it's not quite as bizarre as Benny Hinn. Okay, that was bizarre. That was, I mean... I'm still scrubbing my brain from that one. You know, I'm thinking about taking a hot iron and sticking it through my nostrils and and searing my brain just to get that out of my head. Anyway. And I have my own Bible back. You brought your Bible today. Congratulations. Yesterday I had to use the the office Bible. Now, see, you you use an analog Bible. Yes. Yeah, you used a traditional page Bible, and you know Lane, you know, being a law student and stuff like that, he had uh, he he apparently his Bible's on his laptop like mine. Okay, and I got like a gazillion different translations that I use on my on my Bible, but I really prefer the ESV. Okay. Well, you know, using somebody else's Bible is like wearing somebody else's underwear. It's just not right. Never thought of it like that, and now you're scaring me. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like my own Bible. Nice analogy. <laughs> you just don't want to. Oh do it. man. Okay, so <laughs> let's get to listener email here before you frighten me completely. Um, all right, here we go. Uh, uh, Jameson writes, and he writes from actually, yeah, Jameson Smith is his name, and he's from uh, Houston, Texas. He says, uh, for what it's worth, Joel Osteen's quote creed. Remember the Joel Osteen Creed? Uh, this is my Bible. 
you know, it is. Uh, uh, what is the Joel Osteen creed? Oh my gosh! Hang on a second here. I, I, I'll read it for you because oh. I. What you don't like the Joel Osteen creed? <sighs> we got Josh in in, uh, in the studio today. Josh, you uh, you leave for the Navy pretty soon. Less than a month. Less than a month. That's right. All right. So here's the Joel Osteen creed. We uh, we did a Joel Osteen review uh, recently. Here it is. Uh, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I do what it says I can do. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of God. And I will never be the same. No, never, never, never. And I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh. <sighs> yeah, we'll talk about that here in a second. But let me read the rest of the email. He says, for what it's worth... The Joel Osteen Creed was actually in place at Lakewood before Joel became pastor. When his father John was pastor, they said it was even they said it with even greater gusto, if fewer numbers. You don't think Joel could actually have written a creed like uh, right? <laughs> he has shortened it, however. It used to start uh, start the same, but when you get through to the my mind is alert, ready and to receive blah 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 part. Uh, they'd say, "I never, I, I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. No, I'll never be the same in Jesus' name or something like that." Okay, so uh, I, apparently there's a couple of different versions of the Joel Osteen Creed running around. Oh you know, um, it makes me want to go. Okay, hang on a second here. If I go into my uh, podcast section of iTunes, because I happen to be a subscriber to uh, Joel Osteen's podcast. The Joel Osteen Audio Podcast. Here we go. Uh, I haven't, I haven't heard this one. Um, but, but here's the "You are an extraordinary person" sermon. Of course, I don't have it queued up to exactly the right space. So, uh, let, let, you know, let's John, let's a few stones. Let's see what we got here. All right. So this is uh, from that sermon that we reviewed. Let's see God if we. Bless you. Always a joy to come into your homes. We love. He does you, the joke first, God doesn't he? Great things in store for you. God rewards the people that seek after Him. I know that's you, or you wouldn't yeah, be watching, yeah. or uh-huh. you wouldn't be here today. So you know, bless maybe you today. missed his calling. He should have been a stand-up comic, because I think he starts every sermon we'll with, we'll a, with a joke. Right at home. But thanks for tuning in. I like to get started each week with something kind of funny. And All right, let's, let's hear the joke again, because, you know, it's, correct. it's just They're so... just to make us laugh. Yeah, here we go. But I heard about this husband and wife. They were celebrating their 60th birthdays together. Suddenly, an angel appeared and said God was going to grant them each one special request. They were so excited... The wife said, my request is that we'd be able to travel all over the world. And poof, when the smoke cleared, she had tickets in her hand. The husband hung his head in shame. He said, my request is that I'd be married to a woman 30 years younger than me. And poof, when the smoke cleared, he was 90 years old. All right, here comes the creed. Right, hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name. All right, so there's a different, you know, that's different than the one I found on Google, by the way. Okay, that's a variation of the... uh the original John Osteen Creed. So, anyways, um, so that's just a little bit of uh, Lakewood trivia. But hey, hey, let's do a little comparative work here, okay? That Creed that we just played, who was it about? Himself. You. You. It was you. You. me. You. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, one of the things that I found really offensive coming into uh, confessional Lutheranism um, was that Lutherans have this really bizarre thing that they do um, in their uh, liturgical services, and that is, is that they actually quote the creeds. Okay, on one Sunday you might get the Apostles' Creed, on another Sunday you might get the Nicene Creed. Now, my favorite, by the way, is the Nicene Creed. And then once a year on Trinity Sunday, we whip out this thing called the Athanasian Creed. Now that's about a mile. Long. Oh man, that one takes about a year to recite. It's good Trinitarian doctrine in there. It's a little overcooked, but it's a good creed. Um, so the one of the things I remember coming out of evangelicalism into the liturgical Lutheran church, these guys quote the creed every single Sunday, one or the other, apostles or Nicene. And um, the thing that struck me is that when you quote the Nicene creed or the apostles creed, it's I'm not in, in there anywhere. Okay. <laughs> So let, 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 me, let me read the Nicene. Actually, what's really funny, um, I was uh, at a Baptist church talking about the emergent church movement back at the beginning of the summer. In the tail end of my lecture, I actually preached the Nicene Creed. Uh, you know, they just let it, just let it preach. This thing preaches good. Okay. <clears throat> Here we go. I believe. So there we, that's, the, uh, that's, that's the I part. I believe. Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> I believe in one God, the Father of the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man, um... He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and is glorified, and who spoke by the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic or Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Who is that about? Um, Yeah, that's about Christ. It's all about Christ. So that's the thing. When you – the ancient ecumenical creeds, okay – the Nicene Creed, by the way, was hammered out uh, literally at the tail end of the uh, controversy over the Arian heresy. Okay? And it definitely does some excluding, okay? You know, it's 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 very much a Trinitarian uh, creed, if you would. And this creed right here, it basically, the, the only thing you're doing is believing what has been done for you by God. And Christ in particular is where, you know, the, the, the main focus is. Osteen's creed is all about me and the things I'm doing. Let me see if I can – let me back this up a little bit. And, you know, of course, this is not precision work that we're doing on Roseboro's part. So let's see if I can, if I can get it close. And tickets in her hand. All right. So, yeah. The husband hung his – All right. So we got the husband hanging his head. Let me fast forward just a second here. Here we go. All right. Hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. It's man, that's all about me. It really is all about me. 
Let me read the Apostles' Creed here. Let's see if this one's any better. Uh, I believe, there's the I part, right? I believe, you can say I trust, I believe, in God the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Okay, again, um, it begins with the word, the letter I, I believe, but then it's talking about all these things that God did for us. Osteen's Creed is all about me. It reminds me of Shirley MacLaine. Remember back in the 80s when Shirley MacLaine discovered the New Age movement and, and you know she had that epiphany where she was up on the mountaintop going, I'm God, I'm God. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, you know, let's try this again. Here we go. All right, hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. A sinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't really talk about that much. Right. Yeah, because yeah, mm-hmm. he kind of glosses over that. Where the Nicene Creed says, you know, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Oh, will you? What we, and, and then it's since the main thrust of both the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed is what Christ did for us, suffered under Pilate, Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. You know, why was he doing that? For the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. Sins. So I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. Um, hell, unless you repent of your sins yeah. and trust in Christ. Mm-hmm. I can do what it says I can do. Nothing, nothing. which yeah. is nothing. God has to. Nothing. Yeah. God has to pick and choose and elect you. This is a ridiculous this is, creed. This is actually, if you look through the lens of scripture, pretty condemning. Yeah, this is a, this is a condemning creed. You know. Today I will be taught the word of God. Today I'll be taught the word of God. No, actually, we can demonstrate over and over and over again. Uh, Joel Osteen really doesn't teach them the word of God. In fact, what's the point of bringing a Bible if, uh, unless it's the message paraphrased so that you can follow along with how he's mangling it and taking it out of context? Let's continue. I boldly confess. Boldly confess what? Well, let's find out. Well, My mind is alert. Okay, I boldly confess. <laughs> it, that's, that's like a sentence fragment. I boldly confess. I boldly confess what? That you're a sinner in need of, of a savior? What are you boldly confessing? I'm boldly go where no man's gone before. Okay. My heart is receptive. Uh, no, it's not. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Yeah, there is no receiving. Yeah. I will never be the same. Uh, apparently, after going to this church, you really are going to be the same. You're still going to be in your sins and in need of a savior. In Jesus' name. Well, see, there, there's the gospel part. You remember um, uh, Pastor Wolfmuller and Evan Gagline on uh, on their Table Talk Radio, which is an interesting – it's a catechetical show, and they, they do it in game show formats. They're always playing games. Yeah, they did The Biggest Loser, and they, they took an entire Joel Osteen sermon you know, to, and boil it down to find out where the gospel was. That was it. In Jesus' name was it. Yeah, that was the only thing left. They they threw everything else out that wasn't gospel, and uh, that's in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name what, though? You know, how is it that we have traded the historic Christian faith for Lakewood and Joel Osteen and these guys? That's not even a creed. That's not... Uh, 
It, it, unless unless the creed is I believe in myself, which is what was really the thrust of the whole interview on uh, Larry King Live was. I mean, Larry King built it as you know in these tough and uncertain times, we need somebody who show us how to believe in ourselves. And folks, that's exactly what that creed does. Uh, let me find my Bible here. Um, there's a passage of scripture. Um, last days. Let me see if I can find this. <laughs> There is a passage that talks about things, uh, about how terrible things will be in the last days. Uh, here we go. <clears throat> this is a fun one. Second uh, Timothy three. Let me see. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Second um, Timothy three, starting in verse one. Understand this: that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Okay. In these difficult times, do you want to believe in yourself? I mean, we're in difficult times right now, are we not? Okay. These may not be the last, last days, by the way. Christ could take his time. He has been doing that for a while. Okay, but it says this. Understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. You want to know how bad, how difficult things will be? Here we go. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy. You know what's funny is is that with a leadoff sentence like in the last days there will come times of difficulty, you're thinking, okay, what's it going to be, man? Famine, earthquakes, stars falling from the sky, you know, an alien attack from Mars, you know, times of difficulty, right? No. <laughs> Paul says that the difficult times are going to be this. Get this. It's going to be so bad and so difficult in the last times that people are going to be, get this, lovers of self. That's his lead off. That's his lead off for how difficult times will be. <sighs> lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. You paying attention to that one, Josh? Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. My mom, mom always reads that. Yeah, I know. Every time I go out of town, your mom reads those passages about you know, children obeying your parents. Okay, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient at their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, uh, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pr- pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And what does Scripture say to do with people like that? Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into household and capture weak women, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. I think Second Timothy chapter 3, um, Paul is talking about men like Joel Osteen and what they're teaching and the people who are following Joel Osteen. They're lovers of self, lovers of money and pleasure, and they're arrogant. And they're always learning. I'm going to open my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. My mind is alert. Boldly confess. Confess what? That I believe in myself. 
Well, all I can say is this. The person who believes in himself has a fool for a god. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, that wasn't very nice, now was it? Yes, but it's true. Yeah, it's true. All you're right. Manny, you're a meanie. Yeah, I'm just a terrible man. <laughs> okay. Uh, we got some email here regarding Kung Fu Panda, the sermon. Uh, Weren't you blessed by that? No, <laughs> Chris, an absolutely, completely, and utterly terrible as this sermon, uh, uh, quote, sermon, a.k.a. group therapy session wannabe was, one minor note in defense of Paul Worth. The line, here was, remember we, we groaned at this line, the past is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift, that's why we call it the present. You remember that really corny line? Uh, Ray from Los Angeles tells us that, that that was not thrown in by Paul uh, Worth, but that's actually a line from the movie. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Good night. I tell you, you know, you just stuff like that makes you. Oh, was that? Wait, hang on a second. Here's, by the bell? Somebody hit the TiVo. Uh oh. <laughs> That's my wife hitting the TiVo. She's trying to listen to the show. I think. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to use it later to uh, to quote uh, Rick Warren. So. That's now. I know you're thinking, how is he doing that, folks? There's this wonderful thing called the sling box okay <laughs> not very expensive and it's wonderful because it allows you to watch your television wherever you are as long as you have a high-speed internet connection so i mean that's that's a great thing <laughs> it's a great thing but uh we'll, we'll get to rick warren here in a little bit um all right so let's continue on with our email let me grab the other email real quick here um, let's see here. Uh, okay, fighting for the faith. I had Lane Chaplin. Okay. Uh, uh, Kung Fu. Pr- okay. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Jack writes from uh, Rochester, Minnesota. Minnesota. I was listening to the Kung Fu Panda program yesterday. Can you answer two questions? Well. Well, there's one already. <laughs> you already asked one here, so if I so that means he's asked one. I only have to answer one more, right? I I, I think he's implying that he has two things to ask <laughs> on top of the question that yeah, he asked. Yes. For, okay, oh, yeah. so he has three questions he's asking me, right? Right. First one is, can you answer a question? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. All right. So, um, h- h- number one, uh, would a video of you and Lane Chaplin doing the critique of the sermon be showing up on Lane's blog site? And the answer to that question is no. Um, now, Lane has a far better video face than I do. I have a good face for radio. You know, Lane, Lane, he could do television. Roseboro, not so much. So um, the answer is a very definitive no. We did not have video equipment in here. And plus, if we were to actually shine a video camera into the pirate christian radio studio um i think we would probably get emails from people saying number one you guys live or live in a dorm room and uh number two you need a cleaning lady and number three are you guys even saved i mean because you know if cleanliness is next to godliness then uh we're hellbound and you're gonna have to like gray yeah you have to like yeah gray and and foam Pirates. Yeah, yeah, pirate in f- pirates and foam. Okay, so the answer to that question is no. Uh, from the sounds of it, it would be very interesting to have a split screen showing the pastor giving the sermon and you and Lane's facial expressions as you react. But yeah, that actually probably would have been fun. 
um, you just imagine furled bra- brows and a whole lot of laughter and hysterics because that sermon was a stinker. Um, any chance that there will be a sequel of that sermon coming out that you will critique? Oh, they, have they, have, they have a Kung Fu Panda 2 coming out? Oh, I bet they're gonna well, they're going to have other movies. Well, yeah, actually, he did. He, we we could technically still be relevant, and and uh, throw in another Paul Worth sermon because you know, hey, um, Dark Knight came out this week. I still haven't seen it. Yet. No, I, I haven't seen it yet. So I, you know, yeah, my, I, I I'm a little slow. I'm, Do you have to take notes during the movie? Uh, well, that's a good question. See, that would be a real bummer. You know, sermon notes while you're watching it, right? You know, so I ha- I haven't seen Dark Knight yet, but they, he did review – he did a sermon on Dark Knight. But see, I don't want to listen to that sermon before I actually see the movie because – The movie's actually good. Yeah, I've heard the movie's good, and I don't want him to blow it. And I'm not going to take a pad of paper in there and take notes looking for spiritual themes in Dark Knight. <laughs> I prefer to get my spiritual themes from the Bible. Thank you. Okay. Anyway, um, I know Walmart sells the double pack with a second Kung Fu Panda feature. Oh. Oh, okay, so there's a, there's a mm, kind of Kung Fu Panda featurette. I'd love to hear that as yesterday was the biggest laugh I had in a long time. Well, good. I'm glad that you know, that was actually kind of fun. The, the, <laughs> the sermon was ridiculous. Oh, man. It says, one, uh, one thing I wish uh, I heard you bring out or maybe I missed it was during the announcement portion. Yeah, right in the middle of the sermon, the guy was giving announcements. He says, uh, the pastor talked about how through the questionnaire the church members – uh, would be uh, able to correct themselves. At what point have we ever been able to correct ourselves? I, I know I can only speak for myself, but without Christ, I find myself continually messing up and not correcting myself. You know, here's the deal is, uh, folks, um, we are new creations in Christ Jesus, absolutely new creations in Christ Jesus. And it's the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, and God's word working in us that Christ sanctifies us and continues to mold us into his image. Now, one of the things, the mistakes that evangelicals make is they think that repentance is some somehow some kind of a one-time thing. You know, I repented and received Jesus as my Savior, made a decision for Jesus back at the beginning of my Christian walk, and now I need to f- find a way to please God in the, in the work that I do. It's a really weird dichotomy. And, um, and really, the whole life of, Christ, of, of a Christian is one of repentance. So we never really leave the shadow of the cross. And we always have to, you know, because why? We sin daily. You know, we sin on a daily basis. When, when you can go without sinning, then you don't need the cross. Okay? But what happens is, is that, you know, what, this is one of the things that's very distinct about Lutheranism, is, is that we teach that sanctification comes about as a result of who we are in Christ. Not not from an attitude of gratitude, but rather because we are a new creation in Christ and we bear fruit in in, in keeping with that new creation. And so the, yet that is cultivated then. Good works and sanctification are cultivated by abiding in Christ, pointing us back to the gospel. And the way we do that is by preaching for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And always the solution is Christ. So... Um, you know these guys who you know hunt and peck and and strip mine the scriptures for all that crazy stuff. They uh they're kind of missing the whole point. You know it's and not only that it's not about changing ourselves or, or correcting ourselves. It's about God the Holy Spirit through His Word continuing to sanctify us and correct us and mold us into His image. So you preach the law in all of its terror. You know every Sunday. You know if you're going to do law, do it right. 
You know, there's a good metaphor that I heard a few years ago, and that you know, there's a lot of these guys. You know, they take the law and they they pull its teeth out, and it and it turns into like a little chihuahua nipping at your feet. Do better. Yep, 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 yep. Do better. You know, and you know, really, the law is uh, is a police dog. It's a it's a fully plain, uh, fully trained German shepherd that uh, is designed to eat your face off. I mean, you know, and so you don't want to defang the law. In fact, when you take the law out, let it do its business. Let it, you know, do its job because what it's going to do is it's going to show people, first of all, it's going to convict them of the sin in their life, and it's going to show them what a good work is. And so you just, you let God's law do what God's law is going to do, and it will bring people to repentance. And remember, Scripture says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Okay, so ultimately, it's not even the law that brings us to repentance. It's the, it's the, it's the kind and comforting call of the gospel, that even though I have committed these terrible and grievous sins, even today, that God is offering me mercy, forgiveness, and pardon through Christ. He has declared me to be righteous, and I live this life simul justus et peccator, simultaneously justified. That means declared to be just by God. And still sinner at the same time. Our hope is in the resurrection, and so um, and so you know, repentance is a, is a life. It's a life of repentance, not a one time gig. And so you know, that's I think a, a very important distinction that we need to keep in mind. All right, we're going to go into our first break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about <clears throat> Monsieur Rickman. Yeah, that was terrible. I cannot do French at all. <laughs> and you're going to be de- defending Rick Warren. Yeah, and there's the weird part about it. I'm going to actually defend Rick Warren. I know. It's it's bizarro. All right. <laughs> Hang in there. Uh, so, um, But believe me, I think in this case we need to come to his defense. Believe it or not, I actually think he's not. It's not this is not right what some of these people are writing about him, and it needs to be corrected. So, okay, anyway um, – if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far uh, on today's program, you can do so at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. It would help if I would turn my music up. Uh, there we go. Talkback, fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback, fightingforthefaith.com. We will be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. 
downloading Rob Bell's Lectio Divina. This is a resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. Hold on a second. You out there! Want to experience the presence of God if you are using a jackhammer? Shut up! Don't feel sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of Scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no sense, no, there's no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death? What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas... Hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time. I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something. If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. Just open the Bible and read it. Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, 
The mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are hand-picked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. I feel like I should write some lyrics for this bumper music. I have no idea what I'd say, though. I've never written lyrics. I feel eminently disqualified, unqualified to write lyrics. I mean, if I were qualified to write lyrics, then I'd be like a Beatle or something, right? No. 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 I'm not that cool. (sighs) We'll call it the Roseboro Invasion, right? (laughs) All right, uh, just want to remind you all, Pirate Christian Radio, which is the station that uh, Fighting for the Faith broadcasts on, uh, if you want to support Fighting for the Faith, and let me tell you, we could truly use your help, especially as we uh, uh, come into the end of the year. Um, the way you can support us is by making your check payable to uh, Pirate Christian Radio, Post Office Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. Yeah, your uh, your gifts at this time of the year would definitely help to offset our costs and continue to make it so that we can expand uh, Pirate Christian Radio in what we're doing. We, in fact, we just we advertised in Christianity Today, and we've gotten quite a few new listeners as a result of our advertising in in Christianity Today. In fact, while I was driving here, on, while I was driving into the studio today in the Pirate Christian Radio FJ Cruiser, um, somebody came right up next to me and pulled out their camera phone, and they wanted, you know, they, <laughs> and we're gonna, they were going to take a picture of the of the truck, and, and I wasn't quite on parody with them, and the lady was like waving at me, like, wait, 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 you know, <laughs> hold on. It's like she made me like get my speed even with hers, and then I had to smile. She she's all no no. She, she was making the smile sign, you know. I'm thinking this is ridiculous. This is going to end up in somebody's blog somewhere, you know. All all perfectly legal. Yeah, maybe. Here's photographic evidence that Roseboro was breaking the law. <laughs> no, that's a sin. Yeah, it is. It probably is. Yeah, more than more than likely. All right. So, all right. So here's the deal. Um, I, as promised, in a, in a strange kind of thing, I'm going to actually defend Rick Warren because there's uh, something that's uh, happening out on the internet regarding his recent interview on Hannity and Combs. Now we covered the 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 doctrinal theological aspect of it and the fact that he he told Alan Combs to just try Jesus for 60 days. Yeah, that was uh <clears throat> anyway, but other people are taking issue with something he said after the break that had nothing to do with religion per se. Well, I guess in a way it did. Um so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play for you that section of Hannity and Combs and uh, and it was so that you can hear the offending quote. He's here is talking with Sean Hannity and uh, Sean's going to kind of steer the conversation in talking about evil in the world and how to take care of it. And you'll hear the offending quote uh, in there. And l- let's play this. Do we define peace as the absence of conflict? The absence? Hang on a 
Do we define peace as the absence of conflict? Is it a good thing if you if you beat back the force? Absolutely. I'm not looking for uh, peace on earth, though, through a political solution, Sean. I'm a pastor. Uh, the Bible talks about three kinds of peace. Uh, because the Bible says at Christmas, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's a, that's a prayer. That's Which a, is a, a prayer. Whole, an and ideal. of course, we want civility and we want peace on earth. There is peace with God. There's the peace of God. And then there's peace with each other. There's never going to be peace in the world until there's peace in nations. There's never going to be peace in nations until there's peace in communities and families and in individual lives. But isn't but we're born in a fallen condition. We are. Yep. I mean, so human beings are imperfect. Yeah. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory yeah. of God. Okay, yep. so with that understanding... Mm -hmm. Um, there's always going to be human evil. Mm -hmm. The question is, can can you eradicate it? Can you? In other words, the whole issue came up. Can you can you talk to rogue dictators? Ahmadinejad denies the Holocaust, um, wants to wipe Israel off yeah. the map, is seeking nuclear weapons. Yeah. I think we need to take him out. Yeah. Am I advocating something dark, evil, or something righteous? Well, actually, the Bible says that evil cannot be negotiated with. It has to just be stopped. And and I believe force maybe? Well, if if necessary, in fact that is the legitimate role of government. The Bible says that God puts government on earth to punish evildoers. Not good doers, but evildoers. Alright, stop right there. Okay, so there we there we got it. That's Rick Warren talking about uh, you know you know the the question you know, Sean Hannity has talked about how there's sin in the world that you know and that there's real evil in the world there will always be evil and you know what's the right way of handling you know rogue dictators and stuff like that it's 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 something of a theological slash philosophical question and Rick Warren talks about the legitimate use of governments carrying the sword okay now let me tell you how uh, this got spun in the media and there's uh, Muslims who are up in arms about it. Basically, um, you know, <clears throat> let me read this from the uh, – this is not a Muslim writer. His name is Matthew Duss, and this is from The Guardian in the U.K. I love the Internet because I'm able to read news stories from around the world. I tell you, it's it's a good idea, uh, folks, if – if you're not getting uh, some news from outside of the U.S., put it into your rotation. It's good to get an international perspective on things. Believe me when I tell you, it uh, it provides an interesting counterbalance to the stuff that we're getting in the U.S. But this is not one of those cases. The name of the headline is, Who Would God Kill? Okay. Well, watch how this is getting spun. He says, I don't care what the Bible says. It should be not. It should not be used as a reference text for formulating U.S. foreign policy. <clears throat> Appearing on Sean Hannity's Fox Television program last week to promote his new book, his new book, popular Christian minister and best-selling author Rick Warren made a brief, if regrettable, foray into foreign policy. Speaking about Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, Hannity declared, "We need to take him out." Then he asked Rick Warren whether he was advocating something dark, evil, or something righteous. Amazingly, Warren affirmed Hannity's wrath, saying that stopping evil is the legitimate role of government. The Bible says that God puts government on earth to punish evildoers. Okay. In this particular sense, I'm sorry, but Rick Warren's right. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, the role of our government is to go pick fights with every, you know, a tin whistle dictator on the face of the earth 
Okay, you, you don't, you know, this. there's such thing as just war and unjust wars and things like that. But, you know, uh, let me just give you an example of, of, you know, our government went to war against Nazi Germany. The United States actually waged war against Nazi uh, Germany and helped to overthrow Nazi Germany, which ultimately led to, through the Allied powers that were fighting against Nazi Germany, it led to his death. And the overthrow of a very evil dictatorship. In this particular case, I don't think Rick. I think Rick Warren was just trying to answer the question, the, you know, in a biblical manner. And in this particular case, I think he was right. He wasn't necessarily advocating or setting foreign policy that you know the U.S. What we need to do is you know because Rick Warren said on Fox News that you know that you know the role of government is to punish evildoers that that means that automatically what we've got to do now is go to war against Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. I think that's an incorrect conclusion. I think it's unfair the way they're twisting his words at this point. Now, I, I'm not very happy with the way Rick Warren twists the Bible, but in this particular case, you know, I think Rick Warren was just giving an honest answer regarding, you know, what, you know, the role of government, what the, the and, and biblically, that's exactly right. You know, God puts the sword in the hand of the government to punish evildoers. If you're doing good, you don't have to worry about being punished by the government unless you have an evil government. Okay. But, uh, so, anyway, so the, the, there's literally been a brouhaha in the media, if you're following this, especially outside of the United States, you know, regarding what Rick Warren said. And I, I just don't you – know, and listening to the way he, he answered the question, he was just trying to give a biblical answer to kind of a more, you know, open-ended biblical slash philosophical question that Hannity was asking. This wasn't necessarily about setting a particular policy. And, and uh, folks, you there in the U.K., Here's the good news. Rick Warren isn't an elected official. He doesn't actually get to set public policy. And here in the United States, we have the thing called freedom of speech. <laughs> so he has all the freedom he wants to say things like this. You know, when it, political speech, whatever, you know, this was his opinion. And if you don't like it, then, you know, get your own. But, you know... I think going after him the way they did, I think, was a, just a little bit – you know, I had to come to Rick Warren's defense and say, you know, I don't think he was – he said anything blatantly evil here. And Mahmoud Ahmadinejad is a complete whack job. <laughs> that guy's going to he, – he's trying to bring about the end of the world. You know, not not just the end of Israel. He's, he's trying to bring about Muslim eschatology. <laughs> you know, this, this – you could not ask for a more crazed – fanatical, bizarro, evil dictator than, than Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. You know, the guy's a complete nut job, and he's dangerous to the region. So, anyway, you know, so I wouldn't be all, you know, personally, I, you know, I don't think that the uh, administration that's coming into power is going to do a thing about it, but that's just what I think. Now, before I get on to the next section of Rick Warren, we're, we have two sections of Rick Warren because I'm going to take him to task on something else. But <laughs> so, but I had to throw him that little bone there because I, I just thought it was interesting how this is playing out. Um, the, apparently, the Virgin Mary has been spotted in Phoenix. She gets around. Yeah, she really does. I mean, this time she shows up on a sidewalk. I mean, she's been making the round on Mexican food for a while, tortillas and uh, salsa. And and also on breakfast items like uh, pancakes, um, eggs, and you know and stuff like that. But this time she's actually made an appearance uh, on a sidewalk. 
Let me play the story. Here we go. <laughs> ...by the divine. Real or just a figment of their imagination? Hmm. Welcome back to 3TV News at Night. I'm Beverly Kidd. Tonight we'll show you the pictures so you can decide for yourself. Hordes of people flocked to McKinley between 29th Avenue and 31st Avenue last night. So I just want to, you can't see this because this is a news video, but I'm, there's like a, this street, this is a residential street, literally there is a horde. There is a scad of people out here just clogging up everything, you know, to see the Virgin Mary. So many people that the police were called to keep the crowd under control. Everyone just kind of stay on the sidewalks. I mean, we're getting cold out here by people who can't get through, get to their houses. They showed up after a sighting of the Virgin Mary. He okay, now see. What? <laughs> yeah, hang on. I, this is the Virgin Mary. That's her head, and so she. This is her feet right here. Virgin Dwarf Mary? I I don't know, but they've put candles and everything. You know, this it looks like a watermark, kind of in a Virgin Mary shape, kind of thing. Why is it that people think that these are miracles? That this is really the Virgin Mary? Oh well, let's listen. Mary here in this sidewalk. The image looks like a watermark, but the sidewalk is dry. We touched the image. We thought it was water. We touched it. You can't nothing. You can't get no stain on your hand. So we know it's the Virgin Mary. And these folks aren't... Yeah, they touched it, and that's how they know it's the Virgin Mary. Oh, yeah, the concrete's just not stained or anything. How do you know it's not the devil just completely messing with your mind? Seriously. Okay. How do you know it's not the devil just completely messing with your mind? You know, some little rogue demon who's just absolutely bored out of his gourd, you know, because he's, you know, he's just going, you know, I got an idea, I'm bored. I'll, I'll make I'll make a little false miracle. I'll make I'll put something on a tortilla that looks like the Virgin Mary just to mess with people. Seriously, how do you know it's the Virgin? Well, we touched it and we, it looks like a, it's a, it's wet, but it, we didn't get anything on our hands. That's how we know. I'm surprised to see her on the 12th of December. It's her birthday. She comes out because she's happy because she wants everybody to know that it's her birthday. She, uh, she wants everyone to know it's her birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Virgin Mary. God's blessings to you. She wants everybody to celebrate. We all, it's just something that she's happy for. It's certainly a celebration some Phoenix residents want to remember as they take videos and pictures of her surprise appearance. And speaking of pictures, a Scottsdale family snapped a few images of what they say is Jesus with his arms outstretched. The Rogers family say these images showed up in the stucco of their home about six months after moving in. Ah, see, Jesus moved from tortillas to stucco himself. I mean, a little more you know, cement and stucco. Wow, that proves it's them. And they've been there ever since. So you want to get a better look at these pictures? Well, we put a slideshow up on azfamily.com so you can see the pictures for yourself. Wow. We touched it and didn't get nothing. On, we, that's how we know it's her. That's just some... I can't refute that evidence, man. That's just rock solid. Folks, seriously, you know, um, where in Scripture um, is the Virgin Mary exalted in such a way? Nowhere. 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 Now, granted, she's considered blessed among women. Why? Because she...
through the power of the Holy Spirit, conceived and gave birth to God in human flesh. Okay, that's, I mean, that's an amazing, an amazing thing that happened to her. And scripture speaks very highly of her. But here's the deal. The Catholic Church's doctrine regarding Mary is like way, way, way off. There's whole sections of the Roman Catholic Church that believe that as a result of Mary's suffering at the foot of Jesus's cross, that her suffering somehow plays into our own salvation, and they consider her to be a, quote, co-redemptrix with Jesus Christ. Okay? And they pray to her. Sorry, she's not divine. And, you know... Yeah, she's she's dead, which proves she was a <gasps> sinner. Yeah. You know, they probably... I bet you anything. I, I have to check my Catholic doctrine. I'm sure they have her just disappearing like Enoch rather than actually dying. And they say that she, it's in the Bible, but you never find that. No, yeah, it's not in the Scripture. So, sola scriptura, folk. If it ain't in the Bible, it didn't happen. Um, That's kind of the way I look at it. Well, not that it didn't happen, but it's, it's not... You have to always take your doctrine through the Bible, not something else. All right. Now that I've given, I've defended Rick Warren. Now I got to turn back around and say, I got to take some issues with him. Uh, Rick Warren, uh, they wrote an article about him today in uh, USA Today. Got to cover this story. Let me make sure I've got this pulled up here. Here we go. Saddleback founder. Here we go. All right. Let me read this to you. Uh, This is uh, headline reads Saddleback founder Warren driven to expand his reach. I don't necessarily consider that a good thing, um, but it's by Kathleen Grossman from USA Today, Washington, it's Dateline Washington. Could California pastor Rick Warren possibly be everywhere at once? Well, that's kind of a dumb question. Last time I checked, he wasn't omnipresent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she says it sure seems like it. There may be no escaping Warren's new campaign to stamp his vision of civil Christian discourse and social action on world culture. You probably just saw him maybe in August when he interviewed both presidential candidates on moral and social questions at his televised Saddleback Civil Forum. Yeah, right after that, I said the the winner of the Civil Forum was Rick Warren. Oh, yes. Most definitely. He was the winner. Okay. Got the most airtime. Yeah. <clears throat> the founder of Saddleback Church, the Lake Forest, California megachurch, 20... Uh, 22,000 in attendance on Sundays seems to be in the pulpit one minute in Washington or Rwanda the next and his work is in every bookstore, Walmart, Sam's Club, online, and on CD or on DVD. Uh, this stuff gets around. Indeed, tell him about any new mode of communication and I'll be there, he said in a recent interview. The conversation at a Capitol Hill hotel was sandwiched between an event where he presented President Bush with a newly created medal honoring Bush's efforts to combat AIDS and a New York media swing to promote his newest inspirational book slash CD, The Purpose of Christmas, which, by the way, we've officially come out and said we cannot endorse because of its scripture twisting. Okay. Um, The very word purpose is part of Warren's franchise. Well, yeah, in fact, um, I've got if you've ever been to Saddleback, it's on purpose drive. (sighs) Okay. anyway. And his uh, in his uh, Bible reading handbook, The Purpose Driven Life. Oh, that's a terrible way of describing the book, The Purpose Driven Life. It does not handle God's word properly at all. And we'll give examples again. Uh, he has sold 30 million copies and financed Warren's ever-expanding goals. These include his civil forum and his international peace coalition promoting reconciliation, equipping servant leaders, assisting the poor, caring 
Hang on a second here. Caring for the sick and educating the next generation, which works with public, private, and religious sectors. Warren initiated the plan after his wife Kay was drawn to help AIDS orphans in Rwanda. To reach beyond his network of 400,000 pastors in 162 countries. Um, let me read that sentence again. To reach beyond his network of 400,000 pastors. That's bad. 400,000 pastors take their cues from Rick Warren in 162 countries. I don't consider that a good thing because this guy mangles God's word. Warren has a new deal with Reader's Digest to introduce and edit a new quarterly magazine this winter called Purpose Driven Connection, which is tied in and with a social networking website. In this way, uh, Warren, the pastor, is most like most like Billy Graham, the evangelist, said Grant Wacker, uh, professor of Christian history at Duke University and Divinity School. Both are willing to work with anyone about an ideological litmus, uh, with, without an ideological litmus test as long as they aren't asked to give up their own convictions. Wacker says it's either very courageous or it's very thick-skinned or both. Warren's critics aren't shy. Christianity Today observed that Warren has been pounded for swapping out the P in his peace plan from its original meaning uh, to it originally meant planting churches. Okay? And now it's, uh, let me see what the, the new P is, uh, promoting reconciliation. So his peace plan originally started with planting churches, and now it's promoting reconciliation. Okay. Um, Michael Horton, author of a new book, Christless Christianity, scoffs that Warren promotes deeds, not creeds, which makes the professor of systematic theology at Westminster Seminary in Escondido, California, wonder what's the point of the gospel. Quote, this is Michael Horton saying, uh, God didn't become flesh and die on a cross for me to know I need to care about the environment or I need to look after my neighbor, Horton says. Now, this is interesting. Uh, Warren says it's inevitable that people would take pot shots at an ever-growing target, but he's annoyed that anyone questions his evangelical credentials. Okay, well, okay. No, I firmly believe that Rick Warren's an evangelical. Okay, my problem with Rick Warren, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, is kind of twofold. Number one and most important is, is that uh, he never really clearly preaches the gospel. No. And uh, as kind of a side note to that or a sub point to that one point is that, uh, you know, I don't hear him preaching the gospel to believers who need it just as much as unbelievers. Okay, but my other big issue with Rick Warren is he mangles, completely distorts and twists God's word every bit as much as a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness does. Now, he he may, may still be orthodox, but I, you know. He might actually hold to Orthodox Christianity, but that doesn't matter if you're if what you're teaching people to do is not handle God's word correctly. Okay, he is the master at twisting God's word into saying things that it doesn't say. We'll get into that a little bit. <clears throat> Let me continue the story here. Um, okay, so he's he. Okay, he says he's annoyed that anyone questions his evangelical credentials. Quote, this is Warren now, of course we need creeds. Now this is, I consider this to be positive step in his direction because all the sound bites that you have of Rick Warren talking about his new second reformation, he says we, we need a reformation of deeds, not creeds. Okay, that's a direct quote. Okay, this is him now kind of correcting it and tweaking it. So which he's on the record here, which is good. He says, of course we need creeds, Warren says. We don't need to change what we believe. We need to change how we behave. Oh. You know, behavior modification. 
Anyway, he says it's creed. It's not creeds or deeds. I didn't say that. It's creeds and deeds, even secular forms. I don't happen to agree with any of them. Okay, so Rick Warren is now on record, and I'm happy about this. This is a good move. Rick Warren is on the record saying, okay, listen, you guys misunderstood me. It's creeds and deeds. So he's put the two together. Thank the Lord. Okay? Praise the Lord. Okay? That means that now we have every right to basically take a look at what Rick Warren is teaching and compare them in light of good Christian creeds. Sounds like. Yeah, okay. I'd agree. Okay, so it's creeds and deeds by his own admission. Good. Now let's get to the, the, the creeds part and take a look at what you're teaching. But this is, this is interesting. Listen to this little quip. Rick Warren says, quote, What I am not is a fundamentalist. You become a fundamentalist when you stop listening. There are all kinds of fundamentalists, he says, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, atheist, and secular forms. I don't happen to agree with any of them. Now, this is interesting. Okay, folks, this is, okay, Rick Warren is defining a fundamentalist as someone who has stopped listening. That's a rewrite of history, by the way, okay? I'm holding here in my hands um, just a, a brief history of fundamentalism, okay? Listen to this. Fundamentalism as a movement arose in the United States starting among conservative Presbyterian academics and theologians at Princeton Theological Seminary in the first decade of the 20th century. Okay. What were these uh, conservative Presbyterian academics fighting in the early part of the 20th century? I have no idea. Liberalism. Okay. They were fighting liberalism. Okay, modern liberalism. It soon spread to conservatives among Baptists and other denominations during, during and immediately following the First World War. The movement's purpose was to reaffirm Orthodox Protestant Christianity and zealously defend it against the challenges of liberal theology, German higher criticism, Darwinism, and other isms which it regarded as harmful to Christianity. The term fundamentalism has its roots in the Niagara Bible Conference of seven, in 1778, uh, 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 Bible Conference, actually 1897, which defined those things that were, quote, fundamental to belief. The term was also used to describe the Fundamentals, which is a collection of 12 books on five subjects published in 1910 by Milton and Lyman Stewart. This series of essays came to be representative of the fundamentalist modernist controversy, which appeared late in the 19th century within Protestant churches of the United States and continued in earnest through the 1920s. The first formulation of American fundamentalist beliefs can be traced to the Niagara Bible Conference and in 1910 to the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church, which distilled these into what has become known as the Five Fundamentals. Want to know what the five fundamentals are? Number one, the inspiration of the Bible by the Holy Spirit and the inerrancy of the Scripture as a result of this. Number two, the virgin birth of Christ. Number three, belief that Christ's death was the atonement for sin. Number four, the bodily resurrection of Christ. And number five, the historical reality of Christ's miracles. Sounds good. Okay. This is the historic definition of fundamentalist now so here's the deal is that this term has real meaning and significant 
significance. In fact, based on what I'm reading here, I consider myself to be a fundamentalist. Okay? Especially concerning the, the, the challenges that postmodernism are, are creating for Christianity uh, in today's day and age. Okay? In fact, I would basically say if you're denying the inspiration of the Bible by the Holy Spirit and the inerrancy of Scripture, um, and there's modern-day attacks against Sola Scriptura, which we've documented on this program, okay? Um, you, you're denying that? Yeah, I'm sorry. We're probably not brother and sister in Christ, okay? You deny the virgin birth of Christ? Then you've just made Christianity into a mythology, Okay, if Christ wasn't born of the Virgin Mary, then the book is a bunch of mythologies and it's not true. Okay, the belief that Christ's death was the atonement for sin, folks, it, today in the emergent church, Brian McLaren outright denies the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Okay, the bodily resurrection of Christ. You don't believe that Christ rose bodily from the dead? Um, well, what does Paul say? Christ has not been raised and we are um, among men to be most pitied and we're still in our sins. Okay. And the historical reality of Christ's miracles based upon the historic definition of fundamentalist, I'm a fundamentalist. Okay. But Rick Warren here has basically redefined fundamentalist as somebody. He says, you become, you become a fundamentalist when you stop listening. That's just not true. You become a fundamentalist when you agree with God's word and you let God's word shape your mind and you don't have to listen anymore to liberals and emergence and goofballs like that. God's word has your attention and you bend the knee to Christ and his word. Why would I want to listen to a liberal telling me that the miracles didn't happen, the virgin birth didn't happen, the Bible isn't the inerrant word of God, we don't need to believe in sola scriptura, and oh, and by the way, Jesus died just to set an example of how bad imperialism is. So we've got, I've got a problem here with uh, what Rick Warren said. But uh, we'll pick this up on the other side of the break. We'll take a quick little break here. And uh, when we come back, we'll actually uh, pick this right back up. If you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard, let me know if you're a fundamentalist based on that definition. Talkback, fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Almighty. 
you be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. Talking about Rick Warren. No, I'm not obsessing about him. Defended him earlier and came back around and said, wait a second. You know, folks, he's got the wrong definition of a fundamentalist. Words have meaning. Basically, a fundamentalist is somebody who is an Orthodox Christian who is defending some fundamental beliefs within Christianity. It's not someone who's stopped listening. Good night. It's time for us to recapture some of our these words and, and stop letting people change their meaning. Anyway, so the good news is, is that Rick Warren has now come out publicly and, and has admitted that it's creeds and deeds. That being the case, I would like to say, Rick, that being the case, I am calling on you to do the correct thing. Okay, in light of good Christian creeds, and that is to completely re-edit the purpose-driven life and clean up your use of the Bible passages in it. Okay, let me give you one, for instance, that you really need to clean up because it's not in keeping in consistency with good creeds. Why? Because here's the deal. Our creeds are come from a correct understanding of Scripture. You can't mangle God's Word and say that you're actually teaching what God's Word teaches. Okay, <clears throat> Purpose Driven Life, page 19. We read. Okay, uh, you could reach... All of your personal goals becoming a raving success by the world's standards and still miss the purposes for which God created you. You need more than self-help advice. The Bible says, quote, self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. And that's supposedly from Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. You remember yesterday in the Kung Fu Panda sermon, this is exactly what, uh, what uh, Paul Worth quoted. Okay, so Rick, you've taken six years of Greek and Hebrew. You told me that to my face. So I'm challenging you based on God's word to show me from the Greek where it says that self-help is no help at all and that self-sacrifice is the way to finding your true self. It's not in the text. You've just told us something in the purpose-driven life that is not from the Bible, yet you say that the Bible says it. So, Rick, now that you are on record as saying that you believe it's creeds and deeds, I'm calling on you to do the Christian thing and to clean up your act in your Bible quoting, in your sermons, and in your books, and stop mangling God's word so that they're consistent and keeping with good Christian creeds. 
and Orthodox Christianity. And I'm also calling on you to clarify your position as to whether or not you actually hold to the five fundamentals of the faith, since you just dissed fundamentalists. Am I being too snarky? No. All right, no. Just, just checking. All right, so... So I'm happy to hear that he's now it's, – it's officially creeds and deeds, and that being the case, he needs to clean up his act. He's got to stop twisting God's word. He's upset that people are challenging him and that he's a target. I'm telling you, this guy right here would not be taking any shots at Rick Warren if he preached the gospel and he stopped mangling God's word. What's the scripture say? Huh? The one that you quoted. Oh, Matthew sixteen twenty five. You want me to quote it? Yes. All right. Hang on a second here. Matthew 16, reading it, uh, what are the three rules of good, sound, biblical hermeneutics? Context, context, context. Yeah, that's right. Way to go, class. All right. <laughs> Let me read it in context. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Okay, yes, yeah, starting at verse 21. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Remember the get behind me, Satan piece? Mm -hmm. Paul Worth completely skipped over that part. <laughs> then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So my question for you, Rick, is where it says that you'll find your life. Does that mean you're going to find your true self? Is this about self-actualization? And where's the part about self-help in the Greek text? It's not there. You keep, mis you keep misapplying God's word. You keep mangling it. Stop it. You've now, you're now on record saying that it's creeds and deeds. Therefore, clean up your creeds. And that means clean up your act when it comes to handling God's word and rightly handle it and divide it. For heaven's sakes, you got six years of Greek and Hebrew. You should know better. <clears throat> Anyways, enough of that. <laughs> now, this is going to sound a little bit interesting. For the remainder of our program today, we're going to do a good sermon review. And this is from Jeff Noblet. Now, this guy's a Baptist. Okay. Now, here's a funny thing. I'm a Lutheran. Okay. No bones about it. Okay. But I will say amen to any pastor in any denomination who preaches the gospel who preaches the law to condemn people of their sins and preaches the gospel as the solution. That's Christ crucified for your sins. Now we've got, we've got an example here of a Baptist guy that I've listened to the sermon and said, this, well, is a good sermon. Lord and willing, we and uh, <clears throat> so I would like you to uh, listen along. And this is Jeff Noblet. Why did this? I, it just disappeared. This it just disappeared off my screen. My screen just went white. <laughs> okay, that's uh, that's different. Let me hit refresh and see if that helps. And maybe afterwards I can <clears throat> edit this out. Lord so willing, we will return. There we go. All right, so here we go. This is Jeff Noblet, and uh, this is from Lane Chaplin's uh, channel, by the way. Lane sent me the link to this. I asked him if he would send it to me. And uh, well, listen to what he does with this one. Uh, this is the passage where uh, uh, Jesus calls a woman a dog. Yeah, this It's a terrible... <laughs> This is not a self-esteem building passage. In fact, I don't think this might if you were to look at uh, at, at uh, Robert Schuler's Bible at home, he might have taken his exacto knife and taken this one out. But uh, 
<laughs> here we go. Here's uh, here is Jeff Noblet, who is a Baptist minister, preaching what I would consider to be a decently good sermon. Here we go. The Hebrews next Sunday morning. I had already worked on this before I left and picked. Nice little southern drawl, isn't that? Get back up and wanted to share it with you about an event in our Lord's ministry that is quite shocking. I don't know of any other incident in our Lord's ministry where we have this kind of response from Him, an illustration of faith any greater than the woman who approached Him. Matthew chapter 15, we'll begin in verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I will sit only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Okay, so just making making a note here. Pay attention to the fact that he starts off with the gospel text. Okay, this is a good Lutheran practice. So this Baptist guy learned this from us. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah, maybe that was a little gratuitous. Okay, so okay, what a what a terrible story. <laughs> I mean, here Jesus calls this woman a dog. What are we going to do with that? Well, let's hear what he does with it. I've entitled this "Dogs, Crumbs." and faith to emulate. The Lord said, this woman had great faith. A faith worth following. An example worth emulating. Let's look at it together. Three things I want you to note that speaks of her faith and the greatness of her faith. Now notice he's not pointing out just how greatly moral this woman is, because the text doesn't say that. Just like yesterday, we were talking about the fact that Brian McLaren it was the day before. Brian McLaren says that Abraham gave us a great way of life. No, he didn't. Abraham was a great man of faith. So in the same vein, here we've got this woman, and Jesus points her out as a woman who has great faith. Faith. Great faith. See, we're great sinners, and we have a great Savior, but the only way we have a great that great Savior was applied to us is through faith, which is given to us as a gift from God, by the way. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Read it. We continue. First of all, I want you to notice that she did not challenge his particular mission. That takes faith, by the way. I don't know that there's ever been an age on earth when more people claimed orthodoxy, but had such a continual driving ambition to make God fit their expectation. To mold God into the image they would like for Him to be. But faith is when you humble yourself, and those always go together, faith and humility. You humble yourself 
and glory in and joy in and delight in God as God reveals himself to be. What? I can't have God on my terms? Jeff, you're hurting my self-esteem here. This is not practical. I need a God that I can, that's practical to me in the way I think and understands my unique uh, problems and situations and, and will fit my particular needs. I, I need a God in my own image, and you're telling me I need to put that away? <laughs> we'll talk more about this in just a moment, but how would you react if you come bowing at the feet of Jesus, believing Him to be King of glory, the only Savior, the Master and authority over everything. And you bowed His feet with a desperate need, and He says, you know, I, I can't give the children's bread to you. You're a dog. Oh, man. Can, if Jesus were walking the earth today and that happened, could you imagine what the news media would do to Him? I'm serious. You would have CNN, everybody on CNN would lead off with that story. This would be on YouTube and people would be basically going, you've got to just, what kind of religion is this? What this, this man is not a holy man. He just called this poor woman whose daughter is suffering. He called her a dog. <laughs> what are you going to do? I can tell you what would happen today. She'd be down at some federal agency filing a complaint against Jesus to have him prosecuted for a hate crime. Yep. Or perhaps she would very sarcastically say, well, what, what, what am I, nothing? Uh, do I count for not anything? I mean, what do you mean I'm a dog? Don't you know you're supposed to treat everybody fairly and equally? By the way, let me give you, ask you a question. We do know from Scripture that God loves everyone. He has a wonderful love above and beyond anything you can comprehend for all people. But God does not demonstrate and manifest His love the same to all people, does He not? Why is one child born in a home where that child may not be loved and cared for as they ought to, may not be encouraged and nurtured the way that child ought to, and another child is born over here? with no inherent greatness over the other child, not, not at all, but that child is born in a home where they're loved and cared for and cherished and delighted in? Does God not love both of them? Certainly He does. But He does not manifest His love in the same way to all people. And well, let me throw in one little caveat here. I've got to take a little bit of an issue. God, it, the Scripture does say that Christ demonstra God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for our sins. So God, there is a common denominator in which God demonstrates his love to all of humanity, and that is, is that he died for our sins. Okay, so maybe it's a Baptist thing, but you know, I just had to clean that up a little bit. But her faith is seen in that she doesn't challenge this at all. She doesn't say, well, I don't think that's right, and I don't think that's fair, and I don't think you're a just God. When you can choose and elect a certain nation called Israel and call them the children and then look at the rest of us as dogs. She didn't do that. She didn't challenge him at all. She understood the sovereign and limited purpose of his father's will. That God the Father first sent Jesus for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I would challenge some of my brothers 
who are good men, and I love them, but have a view as if Israel has no plan in God's future. I don't know how they deal with some of the texts that show that God does have a unique purpose for Israel. I don't understand all of it, but I believe it's clear in Scripture. I think he's referring to Romans chapter 11. Let me pull that up real quick, make sure we got provide a little bit of a basis for what he's talking about. Um, listen to this. Um, Romans 11. So th- I think this is what he's referring to. Romans 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Talking about Israel. Well, by no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know that what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. I, and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself. 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So what then? Israel failed to obtain what what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they would not see and ears that they would not hear, down to this very day. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs uh, forever. So I asked, did did they stumble in order that they might fall? Well, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation now has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. For if their trespass means riches for the world and if their uh, failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Okay, so there's some stuff in, in Scripture that basically says God's not quite done with genetic Israel, you know, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it has to play out in history. But so anyway, we continue. So she doesn't challenge this. But why should she challenge this? After all, he's God. And it is God's good pleasure to send his son first for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it is fully his prerogative to do so. And this choice of the Father extends perfectly and beautifully from the righteous excellence of his supreme dignity and the perfections of his heart. If God sent his Son uniquely and specially for a particular people, it's perfect and righteous and beautiful to do so. And she acknowledges that. You know what she says? Jesus said it's not good to give the children's bread, Israel's bread, to dogs, Gentiles. Her only response is, yes, Lord. How do you respond to God? When He doesn't fit your mold, when He doesn't act the way you think He should have acted. Your life hasn't worked out the way you thought it should work out. Your marriage is not meshing together beautifully the way you thought it was going to. Do you, from your heart at least, raise a fist to the divine throne of heaven and say, Why me? No, you must not. In grace, grab the faith to say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. No wonder Jesus said she had great faith. So she, in effect, says as she's bowing down, pleading for mercy that her demon-possessed daughter might be healed, she, in effect, says... I know you did not come for me, and I'm not going to ask you for that which is only for Israel. What humility. 
What faith? Listen to me, child of God. We strive to teach and preach to you the whole counsel of God. Which means we will teach to you and to your children things that will shock, startle, upset the average mind of the shoals. The average. Uh oh. That's what God's word does, though. It rattles our cages. You know, in some cases where people in the scriptures have uh, gone and preached the word and talked people what God really believes and teaches and tells people to come to repentance, you know how they rewarded them for uh, preaching such messages? Uh, they they killed them. Yeah. Yeah. First <clears throat> thinking. Don't try to make God fit other people's conception. Let God be God. Be humble about it. Don't be arrogant and brash like we know everything. We don't. We're still learning and repenting. You ought to be learning and repenting every day of things you don't understand as you ought to understand. But yep. That's uh, <clears> the <throat> that's story of my life. Anyway, let's continue. We are not going to twist God to fit the contemporary cultural mold that people would like to put Him into. Put him into. We will just suffice it as this pitiful... Canaanitish woman and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Well, no wonder she has a faith worth emulating. Because she had no challenge whatsoever to his particular unique mission. To come first, and I might even add foremost, for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, number two. We see her great faith also in that she did not challenge his damning designation of her. Adds on a little bit to what we've already said. She did not challenge his damning designation of her. Now notice how he words it here in verse 27. Or how she words it, rather. We're seeing the fact that she is surrendered and yielded to our Lord here. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. I'm a Gentile dog. I am condemned. I am lost. I'm outside of the covenant family. But yes, Lord, she says. But let me ask you something. Why should she challenge him? He said that Israel's are the children and you're one of the dogs. Why shouldn't she accept that? I mean, the Gentiles were unenlightened fools. The Gentiles were bound in sin's darkness. They had no inherent quality whatsoever that would in any way appease the righteous standards of holy God. They sought not God and loved only themselves and the world and their sin. They were pagan idolaters who frolicked in unbelief Worshipping animals, plants, and demons and statues they fashioned out of their own hands. With wanton delight, they offended all that God is and all that God stands for. They could transgress His laws and sleep well at night. Rightfully and fully, they should be called dogs. But even less. Because no dog has ever sinned against the light of creation. Any man can look at the created order and say, there must be a God. No dog's ever done that. And men also sin against the light of conscience. 
The law of God is written in the heart of man. His conscience bears witness that there is a God. No dog's ever sinned against an enlightened conscience. He didn't have one. Dogs are just dumb beasts. But all men are willful rebels and traitors before God. Let me give you three ways that... Man, this is not making me feel good about myself. But notice how he's preaching the law here. Is he preaching the law by giving you six easy steps on how to please God? Is he exegeting the passage? Yeah, he's exegeting the passage. Okay. He's sticking pretty pretty close to his text here, telling us what it means. You know, and pretty much I'm in, I'm in agreement with what he's saying here. So, uh, you know, you know, but uh, he's preaching the law in a way that is making me a little uncomfortable about my sins, which is what it's supposed to do. All sinners are like dogs. First of all, dogs are dumb. Now, my Labrador Retriever, she's pretty smart, but most dogs are dumb. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot imagine uh, Rick Warren or Robert Schuler preaching this sermon. Yeah. I mean, they just are. They, 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 won't, they don't understand two plus two. They can't describe the flavors and the food they eat. They're just dumb. God made them and they're dumb. They're part of the created order. But men are born in sin, the Bible says. Men are born with a radical depravity. Men are born without a capacity to know God and to know truth. They're born without a capacity to seek God and desire God. And joy in God. It is the ultimate of the dumbness of man that he finds joy and pleasure in everything but God. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling wow. Okay, good. It's, it's terrible. I feel like you're included in there. Yeah, I, somehow he hasn't missed me. Okay. And nor, I don't think he's missed anybody here. He's preaching the law to convict us of our sins. He's not trying to dial it in on any particular sin. He's just he's using the scattergun here, you know, kind of blowing everyone away. Good. And he's the most joyous and pleasurable of the universe. We're born in dumbness to the things of God. But another way that people like dogs is dogs are dirty. They are dirty. They eat things they should not be eating. Oh, I completely agree. We have to keep our dogs away from the cat litter box. They go places they should not be going. Oh, yeah. They do things that are despicable. They're beasts. And they're dirty beasts. Notice he's taking Jesus is calling this woman a dog. And he's fleshing out what that means. He's not skirting that little tidbit of information. He's just diving headlong into it. Let's let's delve into this. What does it mean when he says she's a dog? He's he's not helping Jesus look politically correct or loving and ooey and gooey and all that kind of stuff. Oh, but if we could open your heart and put the contents of your heart on these screens, you would never walk into this auditorium again for anyone. The dirtiness of your heart. Amen. Mm -hmm. We're dirty like dogs yep. and filthy creatures before a holy God. Yeah. Ouch. He's doing it right, man. He's, we're all kind of reduced to a flaming 
just a smoldering little stub now. And lastly, dogs are damned. Now, I don't mean in the sense that they're sinners because they can't sin, but dogs are part of the first creation. And this first creation, the Scripture says, has been corrupted with the sin that has come into the world. And God's going to condemn it all. He's going to destroy it all. And that includes the dogs. I have no record in Scripture that there'll be any dogs in heaven. Oh, no. Oh, no. I thought the movie said all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> oh, Fifi, Fido, Scooby, Cookie. Pastor Swirl is going to hate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's what is he quoting as his authority? Scripture. Scripture. Okay. Yeah. None of them are going to be glorified and brought back to life. They're damned. They're part of the fallen order. And all men are damned before God. Sinful and lost and wretched with no hope outside of Christ. Now, I'm not trying to hurt your self-esteem. My goal is to obliterate it. <laughs> oh, yes. Right on. Oh. Love that line. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> We're going to have to put, put a plaque up. You know, it says that. <laughs> I'm not trying to hurt yourself, Stan. I'm trying to obliterate it. Yes. It's a good pirate line. Yeah. Arr, Arr, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That oh. should be on the marquee at church. Yeah, I think so. Oh, well, that was a great that line. Dismantle. Decimate and destroy your self-esteem completely. Matter of fact, nothing would thrill me more than to once and for all rid you of this cursed and damning disease of looking to self for esteem. The word esteem means to have worth or value. Usually it's used in the context of saying high value or high worth. God's desire is for us to totally forget self, to look not at self at all, to turn from any hope, any confidence, or any value in yourself. You know, I've never been discouraged. I've never had a season of depression. That once I looked at myself, I found out that my problem was myself. I was looking at self. I was looking at what I liked or disliked, what I wanted or didn't want, what I was bothered by, what I thought I needed. One day I'm going to write a book, How to Overcome Depression with Repentance. You just almost can't be discouraged or depressed without being consumed with yourself. Hmm. Or maybe I'm the only one like that. Interesting. See how he, he's even taking a therapeutic concept, depression, and he's saying... He's applying repentance as the solution to, to that. Hmm. There's a revolutionary idea. How do we make it so far without Sigmund Freud? Repentance and the forgiveness of sins would be the answer. That's why God shows you so much love when he wants you to die to self. Because looking at yourself and caring for yourself and concentrating on yourself and being enamored with yourself is killing yourself. Yep. And God loves you. Didn't want you to do that. But instead of looking to self for esteem, look only and look fully and look joyously to Christ. You see, we need self-esteem like we need cancer. 
Yes. Love that line. <laughs> Got to add that one to the mix, too. You need self-esteem like you need cancer. R. Yeah, we'll have to. We'll we'll make him an honorary pirate, you know. But see, we normally make our Baptist pirates walk the plank, though, because they like the water so much. (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke. You forgot the rim shot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What we need, and all we need, is Christ esteem. Now, psychologists tell us today that we need self-esteem if we're going to have good mental and emotional health. The careless preacher or the out-and-out false teacher has adopted this deadly viewpoint. Wow. Mm-hmm. First, they tried to see. Yeah. He's pulling no punches, man. That gets Osteen, Warren. Yeah, Schuler, All those guys. Uh, yeah, even uh, <clears throat> Paul Worth. I mean, I mean, all these uh, seeker-sensitive guys that are, that are going into this stuff. This just, he just excluded all of them. Yep. And I think he's right. Syncretize the psychology of this modern age with the gospel. And when you syncretize any other philosophy or ideas with the gospel, you know what you do? You lose the gospel. Yep, he's right. When you combine or attempt to combine Christ with anything else, Christ leaves the room, for he tolerates no rivals. And then you're... Wow. What, What, Jesus isn't a syncretist? He's not going to allow me to mix him with something else. Left only with powerless, helpless psychology. That is the impotent wisdom of man dressed up in his Sunday best. Powerless, Christless psychology is still powerless and Christless even when you put religious clothing on it. And even conservative evangelicals have been tempted by this. As they often preach the lie that Jesus died on you because you are valuable and you are desirable and you are so esteemed by God. Jesus did not die for you because you're beautiful and attractive and desirable. Jesus died for you because He has a capacity to love the most unlovely. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. man. This is like watching wrestling. (laughs) This is awesome, man. (laughs) That was a full body slam. Beautiful. Well done. (laughs) And the most deplorably wicked. He loved you like that. His grace that He extended to you without any merit on your behalf, on your part, is what makes you beautiful and desirable and wonderful. (sighs) I think this guy's got it, man. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Today, in the name of God, the prominent and praised pulpits have all but abandoned even the veneer of religion and have embraced the false religion of self-esteem. We could be today, perhaps, at an all-time low when the secularist or the psychologist tells us we must have good self-esteem. We might ought to concede that they are one-fourth right, but 100% wrong. How can they be one-fourth right in telling us we need good self-esteem and also at the same time be 100% wrong? Well, because the three-fourths wrong cancels out the one-fourth right. Well, we would give them this. First of all, we do... That kind of goes along with that, that saying, what is a half-truth is a full lie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You need to esteem one. That's true. They're right on that. We do need to esteem someone. But secondly, 
We must deny any esteem for ourselves. That's another fourth. Third, we must place all esteem in Christ. That's three-fourths now. And fourth, we must not esteem Christ as our fixer of temporal needs, but only as the Lord and Savior and the Redeemer, the fixer of the deep spiritual need of the heart of man, his sin problem. What? Jesus didn't come to solve my bedroom issues? He didn't come to solve my money problem? He didn't come to solve my career dissatisfaction? He didn't... I can't use that, Jesus. He, that's... that's... We, I need a Jesus who's practical here and now. It's making a difference in my life. On my terms. But coming to full conclusion on this point, we must, like this Gentile woman, place all esteem, all value, all hope, all faith in Jesus Christ. You know, she didn't argue anything about, yeah, but I deserve a little something. I, I'm not quite the dog like the other Gentiles are. And I, I've even observed the laws of Moses, though I am a Gentile and they weren't given to my people. I've done this and that and I went to the synagogue and I was baptized and I did all of these things. No, she didn't do any of that. She just looks to Jesus. Says, yes, I'm a dog. She did not at all challenge his damning designation of herself. Mm-hmm. It's a good sermon. Now, number three, we see she has a faith worth emulating in that she would not seek healing in another. I have more than a few people tell me that if you keep preaching like you're preaching, I'm going to go somewhere else. Tell them to go. This woman... The first, I suppose, the first personal interaction she has with Jesus, he calls her a dog. And she says, yes, Lord, but I'm not going anywhere else. I ain't going anywhere else. You can call me a dog, then I'm a dog, but I'm hanging with you. <laughs> That's faith. Yep. It's faith. But why should she go anywhere else? There's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. There's only one mediator, the Bible says, of a new covenant, and that is Christ. There's only one mediator of a better covenant, the covenant of grace, and that's Christ. His sacrifice on the cross for your sin is the one sacrifice and the only sacrifice that's given for all time. There's nowhere else to go. He's the only captain of salvation, the book of Hebrews says. It means the captain has blazed the trail. He's won the battle. He's paved the way. He died on the cross. He enters death. And He tears death's house down. He condemns sin and destroys the house of death, hell, and the grave. Raises it and provides a pathway for all of us to go straight through to glory. Who else are you going to go to? <laughs> Who is He censoring this one on? Man, this, this whole sermon's jip, dripping with Jesus Christ. This is some old school stuff going on here love this good 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 he's convicted us of our sins and he's giving us christ as the only solution and rather than sitting there and defending the woman who you know jesus called a dog and saying what a turkey jesus was for calling her a dog he points out to this woman's faith that there is the object of her faith jesus christ and jesus christ just condemned her of her sins called her a dog and she says yes lord yes lord yes lord 
when Jesus calls you a dog for the sins that you've committed? Do you try to weasel your way out of it, bargain with God, lessen it, try to justify it, say, make it sound like it's not as bad as all of that? Or do you say, yes, Lord, I confess that I am a sinner. I wonder she didn't look to anyone else. She just couldn't be deterred. Look at it again in the text. And the Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter's cruelly demon-possessed. This woman is passionate. Verse 25, But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And then, of course, verse 27. But she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She's not going to be deterred. She's not going anywhere else. When you hear the truth of God's Word, and it strikes you hard, it knocks you down, it crushes your faith, it destroys your self-esteem, do you run away? Turn on Joel Osteen and hope to get picked back up? (laughs) Oh, man. Swinging. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes, brave, prophetic gospel preaching. This is nice. Or do you say, yes, Lord, I need some more of that? (laughs) No wonder the world says we're fools. No wonder Paul said it's the foolishness of preaching. The world will think this is foolishness. Everybody's going to go out here depressed. They'll have to go to the doctor and get more antidepressants. And there's a place for that. I'm not condemning you for that. But I've seen many, many, many come to a point where they didn't need them anymore as they grew in Christ. So try that too. Strive for Christ. Even if you have to do some other things to get by from time to time, go for Christ. She couldn't be deterred. She, in effect, and correctly says... No, Lord, you did not come for me. Isn't that what the text says? Uh, How how does she say it there? She says, yes, Lord. After Jesus says, I've come to give the children, the Israelites, bread. I can't give the dogs the children's bread. She says, yes, Lord, I know that. I know you didn't come for me. I know your father sent you to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I know David is not my forefather. He was a descendant of Abraham. And he's a Jew, and I'm a Gentile. I know that. I know I'm outside the covenant family of Israel. Lord, I know you didn't come for me. But then she, in effect, says, but I have come for you. Oh, I want that to sink into you. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm staying with you till I get what you can give me. You didn't come to me, but I've come for you. In John six thirty seven, the Bible says, Jesus speaking, All that the Father gives me will come to me. That's the sovereign God side. Don't ever leave that out. And the one who comes to me, I certainly will not cast out. Now, he's not a Pelagian. You know, I don't think this guy's a Pelagian. I've taken a look at some of his stuff. And he, that's not, he's more Calvinist than, you know. So don't interpret this in a Pelagian way. Well, in like analogy, there is the elect. There are the predestined ones. There are the called ones. We don't deny that. But let me say something to you. Do you want to come to Him? Do you want Him? Do you want His forgiveness? 
Do you want His pardon? Do you feel the weight of your sin? Or are you burdened about your sin? I'm not saying, do you want Him to fix your marriage? That may or may not happen. I'm telling you, you're a sinner. The wrath of God is over you. Do you want Christ? If you want Him, and you desire Him, and you come to Him, He will not cast you out. And I would just theologically say that if you've gotten to that point where you need Christ like that, Christ is already working faith and repentance in you. Because it is God is the one who works repentance and faith. So, and how does he do it? Through the foolishness of this kind of stuff. Good, prophetic, gospel preaching. If you want Him, you are the elect. If you want Him, you are the predestined. If you want Him, you are the called. Do you want Him? Well, pastor, what do the unelect or non-elect look like? They don't care. They don't want him. They're 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 false religionists. They they wear their religion in a in a spirit of pride. They say, "I did this and I did that, and God owes me heaven." That is rottenness. That is blasphemy. You die to all pride, or you do not find Christ. <laughs> this is good stuff, man. Wow, this will burn your face off. <laughs> yeah, I obliterated myself. Love, no, this is not, this is not that that stupid little Chihuahua guy, you know, Lod. <laughs> Try better. Do better. This is Cerberus. Oh man, <laughs> and that's why she's such an example of faith. Yes, I'm a I'm a dog, but I need you. If you'll say to God today, I'm a dog, I'm a sinner, I'm a lawbreaker, I'm wicked, and I'm vile, but I want Christ! I'm telling you, you'll find Christ! You will find Him. No deal-making here. No saying, well, I'm pretty good, He ought to take me. No, you've got to get to where you know you're a dog. And He'll take you. He'll take you. You see, this woman, this Canaanitish woman, this... Woman of Tyre and Sidon. This woman outside the covenant family of Israel. This one who's not among the children. This woman understood that the Gentiles get some crumbs. I like this. And maybe she knew something of the Old Testament because it's been God's pattern from time immemorial. Though He gave the bread to Israel, they got the prophets, they got the writings of scriptures, they had the God called priests, they had the teaching of truth. The other nations did not have that. That God would regularly let some of the crumbs fall off Israel's table and fall to the Gentiles. Ninevites. Ninevites. When you get to heaven, there'll be some Ninevites in heaven. Gentiles. Not Israelites. Gentiles. And God had a didn't have a problem, but He had a creative way of getting His preacher there. Jonah. Got Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites. And some of the Ninevites were converted. The bread didn't come to Nineveh. It came to Israel, but the Ninevites got some crumbs. What about Ruth? A Moabitess. Outside of the covenant of Israel. But she finds Boaz. She marries. She finds God. She finds the Savior. Some of the crumbs falling to the Gentiles. Rahab, a citizen of Jericho, the cursed city, the city God said to destroy. God said, My judgment is upon them. But Rahab, though she didn't have much faith, but what she had was true faith. And was gloriously saved. Wasn't Rahab a prostitute? Yeah.
God is judging Jericho. And this prostitute in Jericho has faith. Oh. It's even mentioned in Hebrews as, a, as an example of faith. How did Rahab, the non-Jew, find Christ? Some of the crumbs the chi- from the children's bread, God made fall to the Gentiles. <laughs> well, this dear lady understood in faith what far too many today fail to see. She grasped in faith, a glorious diamond of truth. She discovered the secret. The secret that many of you sitting under my voice today must discover. What is that secret? Forget yourself and look to Christ. I'm a dog, I'm a dog. I'm a Gentile, I'm a Gentile. I don't get the children's bread, I don't get the children's bread. I'll tell you one thing, Lord, I'm looking to you. All the things about me, I'm not... Lord, you know who I am, you know what I am. I'm looking for you, though. She forgot herself and she looked to Christ. You see, some of you this morning are saying, my sins are too great. I have no joy. My faith is too weak. I just don't repent enough and I I don't pray like I ought to pray. You know what all of those are? All of those are looking at yourself. Notice he's uh, he's now, he's, what are these excuses that he's coming up with? Are these the excuses that a non-Christian would have or a Christian? Christian. These are, yeah, so he's preaching the gospel to Christians? This is unheard of. Uh (laughs) He must have studied under a Lutheran somewhere. Or or, or just had a good teacher. Or just had a good teacher. Sorry, folks. Okay, step back over that. Yeah, line. I'm a little okay. tribal here. Sorry. Okay, yeah, step, step, step back. Step back. Yeah. We know how you feel. Well, what does Luther say though about the gospel? The gospel is like a rainstorm. You never know where it's going to go. You know, and that's in. You know, it'll rain in one section for a while, and then it'll move on to another another place. You know, and so this is amazingly good law gospel preaching at this point. They're looking within. You see, look not to the hand that grasps Christ, look to Christ. Mm -hmm. It is not your hold on Christ that saves you, it is Christ that saves you. Amen. It is not your joy in Christ that saves you, it is Christ that saves you. Right on. It is not your prayer life that saves you, it is Christ that saves you. Uh Uh-huh. It is not your works of repentance that saves you. It is Christ that saves you. It is not even your faith that saves you, though that be the channel. It is Christ that saves you. Right on. Good. He, he's read the scriptures. Yeah, he, apparently God's word is doing its thing. This is amazing. Why? And he reads them, you know, in context, not just a verse at a time. Exactly. From five different Bibles. Exactly. This is not five different translations oh, in the message paraphrase. He's stuck. He is stuck like glue to his text, and he's pulling in all this other scripture. He must be closed-minded. Yeah, this is just praise God. That's all I can say. Do not look at your hope. Look at the source of your hope. Do not look at your joy. Look at the source of your joy. Don't even look at your faith. Look at the author and finisher of faith. Right on. You see, it is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to our souls. Mm-hmm. What an example this woman is. Focus your eye on Him, 
let his life, his death, his sufferings, his merit, his resurrection, victorious resurrection, his intercession, his glorification, his worthiness be fresh on your mind. When you wake in the morning, listen to me. When you wake in the morning, Satan in your flesh says, Remember the sin of yesterday. Repent of it and look at him. Look at him. Don't look at yourself. When you put your head on the pillow at night and you're invaded with the condemnation of a day, struggling and failing at times, repent of it and look at Him. Look at that. Look at Him. Look at Him. Follow hard after Him. He will never fail you. She says, Yes, Lord. I know, I, 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 I joy in that you have a sovereign purpose to come to a particular people, Israel. But even the dogs get the crumbs off of the children's table. Now, some scholars have tried to help poor old God out here and say, well, the word dog here doesn't mean the mangy wild dog that you gun down and put out of its misery. It means the lovable household pet. Does that make you feel better? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh. oh man! He's not shaving off any of the hard edges. He's keeping them as hard as possible, man. I love this. Dog is dog. God meant it the way God wrote it. Stop helping God. Proclaim God. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> man. Let God deal with the results. She says, Lord, just a crumb from the table. If that's all the Gentiles get, that's fine with me. That's fine. <laughs> but she knew something. She knew that a crumb of his love has more liberating power than a whole world of sin has power to enslave. She knew that a crumb of His grace has more cleansing power than a galaxy of sin has power to stain. <laughs> Sweet gospel here, man. She knew that a crumb of His mercy has more pardoning power than a world of sin has power to condemn. She knew that a crumb of His life had more quickening and life-giving power than all the powers of death, hell, and the grave. Combined. Hmm. I'll just take a crumb. And she found grace and healing for her daughter, too. One final thought. The place where she's from. She's from Tyre and Sidon. She's not from Judah. She's not from Bethlehem. She's not from Jerusalem. She's Tyre and Sidon. That's Gentiles. That's outside the covenant family of God. But this ought to teach us something. And that is that it's not the place, but grace that makes you a child of God. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm talking to some of you, and you may come from a righteous home. You may even come from a preacher's family. But in a preacher's family, you could grow up to be an unbeliever. You could grow up to be an unrepentant, world-loving, superstitious idolater under the wrath of God. You also may be one listening to my voice today, and you have grown up or are growing up in the darkness of sin's night. 
living in the wrong house, in the wrong neighborhood, on the wrong side of the tracks, on the wrong side of the tracks. Your influences might be like one whom I taught with recently who's a faithful serving member of our church today. But this person told me that, Brother Jeff, my earliest memories as a child was walking around seeing my parents and many others passed out, stone cold, intoxicated with drugs and alcohol. That's all I remember as a child. That was my life. Your past may be one of notorious sin and degradation. That may be your place. Alcohol may have consumed your life and everything you've ever known. And perversion and immoralities and wickedness. That may be your place. But this darkness and sin that you have known does not need to bring you despair. Because the darkness of your place is no match for the light of His grace. Woot. That is so good. Who of you listening to this pastor preaching law and gospel? Notice he used the verbal eraser against your sin. He said, but the light of his grace is greater than the darkness of your sin. No Who of you is unmoved at this point by what you're hearing? Which of you cannot say amen to this and know that what this pastor is preaching is not the truth? He speaks gospel truth and he's prophetically proclaiming it boldly and in your face. And not, and not telling you what you should do. Exactly. He's telling you what Christ has done. If that's your place, I'll say it. You're a dog. Wow, he just called everyone dogs. Good for him. But dogs get crumbs of grace that are sufficient to cleanse you and pardon you and forgive you and take you into the loving arms of God and show you peace and joy and new life and a new future forevermore. You see, you may dwell outside of the covenant family of God. You may dwell in Tyre and Sidon. But you can sit down in the kingdom of God. Because it's not the place. It's grace that makes you a child of God. Come, you sinners. Seek His grace whose wrath you cannot bear. Flee to the shelter of the cross and find salvation there. Would you bow in prayer? We'll leave it there. Amen. Good, bold, law, gospel preaching. Scriptural, in context, exegetical. Giving Christ as the solution to our sins. Not self-help, not good advice, not pop psychology, not self-esteem, but ripping your self-esteem apart and tearing it to pieces and obliterating it through the law of God and giving you the one solution that we have been given Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins and for mine. Repent of your wickedness. Flee the darkness, for the light of Christ is shining. And he 
can take away the darkness of all of your sins, and he has done so on the cross of Calvary. Amen. Love these kind of sermons. Man, I cannot get enough of it. I mean, it's like, it's, it, kid you not, when I was, when I was, my kids were younger, you know, my wife was very avid about the fact that our kids, we had to read to them. Okay. And my kids, they had favorite stories when they were really little and you'd finish the story and they go again, 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 read again, read again. That's what I'm this. When I hear this story of Christ's redeeming grace of the forgiveness of sins, one on the cross, I hear the story and I'm just like a little kid. Tell me it again. Tell me it again. I cannot get enough of this story. Christ is the one sure hope that we have. He is the rock. Everything else is shifting sand. Why would we trade this treasure for the mud and false pearls of that other stuff? I don't get it. Oh, man. All right, folks, we're at the end of our program today. And if you would like to email me regarding anything that you've uh, heard today, and um, you can at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And I hope you all have a great weekend, and uh, God bless you. We'll catch you next week.